Hi. If you enjoy Law to Fact, I want to tell you about another podcast I host. It's called Legal Tensor, and with the same blend of fun and substance as Law to Fact, guests join me to discuss timely legal issues. It's a great way to gain insights and to help you start a conversation on legal stuff that matters. It's available on all the usual podcast platforms. And while you're at it, if you could subscribe or like either of our podcasts, it would be super helpful. And now here's an episode of Law to Fact. Hello, this is Leslie Groffitenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today I'm speaking with Professor Wayne Barnes about consideration and contracts. This episode, I speak with Professor Wayne Barnes, professor of law at Texas A&M School of Law, about one of my favorite topics and one that I think is super difficult, consideration and contracts. It's not often that I get to speak to a professor about something I teach. It was a great conversation and one I'm sure you'll enjoy. Before we begin, I want to remind you that you can help me as always by liking us on social media and subscribing to us on any platform on which you listen to us. And finally, if you're listening to us, chances are you are planning to take the bar exam. I'm offering you $100 off the Kaplan Bar Prep program. Go to www.captest.com and click on bar. Enter code Leslie100 at checkout and you'll receive $100 off. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you speak with me about consideration. I also teach contracts. Actually, I'm about to teach consideration in a couple of days. And I find that that, besides parole evidence, I think consideration is probably the toughest topic for students to grasp. So I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of a landscape. What is consideration? Sure. Well, I'm close to teaching it as well this semester, and I agree with you that it can, it's, uh, you know, on one level, it's very simple, but then there tends to be a lot of contours to it and nuances where the students do have trouble. And frankly, I think professors have trouble because there's really, it's one of those areas like so many where there's not necessarily a hard and fast distinction between one one area and another. But to, to, to lay the view from 30,000 feet, consideration is typically defined as just a bargain for exchange. You can really narrow it down to those three words. Um, and of course, unpacking that a little bit, there's really two components that I typically talk about. Uh, there's the bargained for part uh, and then there's the exchange or legal values part. What, in other words, what are you exchanging? By the way, as a threshold, of course, a lot of people make the point that uh, the consideration doctrine is the way to really distinguish and funnel what promises are enforceable uh, by contract doctrine as opposed to which ones are not. It's a way to to primarily make contracts about the enforcement of promises that arise out of exchange transactions. Right. But to come back to the, the definition, bargain for exchange, so again, two components, quid pro quo. So the first is bargain for, um, and then the second is legal value. So, so the focus on the bargain for part, that, just, that really is just the exchange part. In other words, the humans or the parties are each giving a thing or promising a thing uh, in order to get the other person's thing. Uh, so you could call this mutually reciprocal inducement. I, I promise you $10,000 if you'll paint my house. So why am I promising you the money? Uh, in order to get your promise to paint the house, why are you promising to paint my house? Well, in order to get the money. And 
<laughs> one of the things that's interesting about teaching consideration, unlike maybe some other doctrines like interpretation of contracts or even the parole evidence rule or remedies, certainly, is that you have to kind of confess when you are teaching consideration in a law school classroom that, you know, in the real world, maybe consideration is not at the very top of, you know, a hotbed of, of legal, commercially legal disputes. Um, there's not too many people out there that are promising money and, and not wanting to get something in exchange. So I, students get it on an intuitive level. It's an exchange. It's promising something for something else. And then um, the, so that's the bargain for exchange. Each is promising the thing or doing a thing in order to get the other person to do the thing. And, and when, the and when I'm just, I'm sorry, before you get onto the, the bargain part, when you talk sure. about the um, exchange, it doesn't matter if you're the offeror or the offeree, right? Both parties have to promise something that's that's sure. of value to the other, right? Because I find uh, sometimes students yeah. think only the offeror has to promise something, but really you have to look at it from both sides. Exactly. Uh, yeah, most con contracts are, I mean, there's no such thing as a contract with yourself, I don't think. And so <laughs> you're usually contracting with at least one other person. Right. And so we, we, we typically think of that. And yeah, typically um, uh, it's each each one uh, is going to have to support consideration for the other. So yeah, the, either the offer or offeree, it really doesn't matter. I mean, of course, we focus on that as far as the forming of a contract and the sequence. But as far as consideration goes, each one's going to have to have something they're contributing to the other and vice versa regardless of who's the offer or an offeree that's absolutely right it kind of brings to mind not that this is the primary thing you're asking about but you know most contracts are bilateral and so that's kind of that's another way to phrase that is that each something is coming from each side one's promising something in exchange for another so two of them are are making those promises great great all right and then so what's the second part so the second part, besides the bargain for exchange, each doing the thing to get the other thing, uh, the second part is that the, we have to be sure, and again, in 99% of the reward cases, this isn't an issue, but we have to be sure that the things they are exchanging are sufficient, of sufficiently legal value. So I just shorthand it as there's legal value there. Um, and you hear different tests for this, you know, that it's got to be a benefit or, you know, to the promisor or a detriment to the promisee. Sometimes that can be confusing uh, to students, but you know, you have a couple of cases usually on, on it and, it and it drills down. But, but, but what, what it really means is that you're giving something real. And, and, and a lot of times it's easier to think of that in the converse or the opposite. And that is, this is where pre-existing duty comes into play. It's not something real and there is no legal value if you're promising something that you're already under a, a pre-existing you know duty to do um or you agree to forbear from something that you're already supposed to forbear from so when i'm talking to my contracts class maybe the first example of that i will give is well first back that backing up to my initial example i pay you ten thousand dollars to paint the house obviously you didn't have any pre-existing duty to paint my house i don't have any existing duty to give you money and so that works perfectly fine and in 99 percent of contracts that's that's how it is but to introduce the the concept i'll say to my students now suppose i promise my you know 19 year old son that i will give him 500 dollars this week if he will just promise not to speed while he's driving you know well mm -hmm. the problem with that is he's already under a, a legal pre-existing duty 
to forbear from speeding. And so the law says, well, he's not really promising me anything he's not already supposed to do. So there's no real incremental legal value there. Right. Uh, and it has better application or, or perhaps more commercially realistic application when you get into modifications of contracts, but maybe we'll, we can yeah, let's talk about that, that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. But all right. So I want to ask you a couple questions. Um, the first question is the peppercorn issue. So I, uh, let's say it costs, um, I don't know, let's say it costs $60 to mow a lawn. I offer you $60 for you to mow me a lawn, my, my lawn. But let's say I want to give my 19-year-old son $5. He lives here, but I want to give him something. And really, he's I'm giving him $5 to do something that really is worth $60. Is there a requirement that what you give in consideration is equal in value to what you're getting? Right. And the short answer is no. Of course, there's always caveats that come into my head, but the short answer, Dr. Arnold, is no. There, the courts don't uh, police uh, for adequacy of consideration, um, and so uh, that's where the that's where the famous peppercorn idea comes into play. Right, a mere peppercorn is sufficient as long as there's some. I, I mentioned legal value while ago. As long as there literally is some legal value, however minimal, in theory, that's sufficient. So I joke sometimes that the courts will not. Uh, declare a contract invalid because you, you didn't make a good enough deal. You know, your your son didn't get enough money. He only got $5. Instead, what we do is, I joke that we give you the capitalism trophy of the week, right? You made a good deal. <laughs> he made a bad deal. Uh, like and that. the courts will, will let the parties, you know, leave them as they are because, you know, that's the idea of a free market exchange. Um, there's caveats to that, but maybe I should wait and see if you want to go there. I mean, we well, obviously yeah. can... Yeah. We can have a, uh, if, you know, we can have this situation where, and I don't usually get into this too much, because um, uh, because I don't honestly, it, I don't have two weeks to spend on consideration. Right. I'm probably That's like you and have yeah. about a day yeah. uh, at best. And but you know, you do have the situations where if you really wanted to just make a gift and um, the you know the presence of consideration was a sham, then you ha you do have situations sometimes where the courts will will look look behind that but for the most part uh for my exams and what i tell students is that yeah the courts are not gonna um are not gonna inquire into sufficiency of consideration and i guess the one other thing to mention which probably is more testable and it's not consideration per se but i say courts won't uh invalidate a contract because one side made a bad deal right didn't get enough money right yeah I see that too. yeah but then I do footnote and I say, stay tuned for when we talk about defenses because they might invalidate the contract if you made a really, 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 really like oppressively bad deal. And of course, I'm thinking about unconscionability. Right. But, right. but as far as consideration goes, no, that's not a basis for invalidating a contract, usually speaking. So and so I want to go back to your 19 year old son who is not giving up anything of value because he doesn't have a right to speed. So he's doing what the law requires. And I want to contrast that with Hamer versus Sidway, because what happened in Hamer versus Sidway is the uncle said, if you stop smoking and drinking, I'll give you money. So there. Right. right? So why right. is it playing devil's advocate? <laughs> why yeah. is it that in Hamer versus Sidway? We did find consideration, but when your son sped, I mean, didn't speed, 
we didn't find consideration because keep in mind in Hamer versus Sidway, it was to his benefit to stop gambling and smoking. Yep, definitely. Yeah, so that is a great, you know, that's that's one of those cases that, of course, is destined to get into the case books because it's so unusual and, and different and memorable. Um, but um, that case stands for, I, I think, primarily the proposition that um, as long as there's some true detriment, right? And so um, it's it's sufficiently consideration. So uncle promises five thousand. I think it was five thousand yeah. dollars, whatever it was, um, and, and and you know, in exchange for nephew promising to not smoke, not drink, uh, not play billiards. I think I used to make an Adam Ant joke here. He had that song goody two shoes yes, but yes. I, I quit after a while you know i have all these outdated pop cultural references can i can i just i just didn't i i teach sales and did you ever see the tv the movie this is spinal tap have you ever seen that movie this yes is, a long time like ago. The, my favorite movie and i literally swore i showed it yesterday in sales because what happens is they want the stonehenge and they write 18 and they write inches instead of feet and i use it to show <laughs> this idea of a specially manufactured good Nobody laughed yes, with me. Nobody laughed great. with me. Oh, so. I do that all the time. And I really, as part of me thinks I need to update the pop cultural references. And then I get so tickled, like it amuses me to do it and have the silence in the room. And then nowadays I say, well, just ask your parents or right, something. Right, right. That's a good way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, so where so Adam Ant. So, we were talking about Adam Ant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He promised not to smoke, drink, or play pool. And, you know, the answer is that he um, was not, uh, unlike my son, who was under a, a you know, pre-existing legal duty not to uh, exceed the speed limit, I, I guess at the time, and I often vary this with the class, with the hypothetical, but, but as it was at the time, the nephew was freely legal, um, legally um, allowed and permitted to engage in all three of those things. And so agreeing to forbear for them actually was a true detriment, was something that he wasn't already under a pre-existing legal duty to do. Um, and therefore, there's consideration. One of the things about, well, two things about that. One of the things that uh, tricks student up, trip student up about that is that it doesn't seem like, you know, it really is a direct benefit um, to the uncle, uh, except maybe he just feels warm and fuzzy about his his nephew you know acting better or straightening up and flying right or, or what have you but you know it stands for the proposition that although usually maybe even almost always um consideration promises are both a detriment to the promising party um and a benefit to the promisee they don't have to be one or the other strictly speaking is enough however infrequent that is but I do, I, um, I, I do, I am going to just respectfully disagree that I do think that I think what motivated the uncle to make this deal was this idea that he wanted his nephew to get his act together. Sure, absolutely. That's right. Um, that's right. And, you know, and of course, we all have multiple motivations. Um, one of the things I'll ask as a, as a hypothetical is what if, um, you know, the nephew uh, had a girlfriend or a, a, a fiance who said, if you really want to go through with this, you better, you know, by George, you better quit smoking and drinking. And so he already had this pre-existing motivation, right. but then along comes his uncle and offers the cash. And so on his side, uh, yeah, it's okay that there's multiple motivations as long as the uncle's promise was at least part of the motivation. But you're right. Uh, certainly the uncle was benefited in that 
you know, moral or, you know, personal sense. And so I think that's correct. So let me ask you, this comes to mind now, if I promise my son that if he gets straight A's, I will give him $100, which I never do because I don't think you should buy the grades. <laughs> but if I right. do that, then would you say that, um, and he gets straight A's, would you call that a valid, would that be valid consideration on both our parts? That's funny. Before I respond, I, I have three kids and my, my, my oldest, uh, I, I, my big thing was I got really stuck on them doing learning memorizing their multiplication tables. So mm -hmm. my first daughter was, you know, just really dragging her feet, and this was back in, you know, oh, 2003, 2004, something. And I said, look, I'll I finally bribed her. I said, I'll give you 50 bucks if you will just multiply uh, memorize your multiplication tables. And she just couldn't believe it, and she did it. Fast forward to my last two kids, and that hardly moved the needle. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I digress. Um, so I I think, you know, I think strictly speaking, um, one of the things we talk about is whether or not a promise is just to make a gift or whether it's truly bargain for exchange. And that's one of the more difficult areas that we talk about with students. And to me, you know, you know this, truthfully, the courts would probably come out differently on that one. I think as a law professor sitting here thinking about it theoretically and technically, uh, making straight A's, um, to me, it could be argued both ways. It could be argued to be consideration because there's nothing inherent. You know, we talk about this area in consideration versus gratuitous promises, a promise to make a gift, you know, a promise is something for nothing. Um, and to me, the best cases of gratuitous promises that are not enforceable involve situations true where there's no benefit necessarily to the promising party besides this feel-good thing. But then also, is it, I, I tell the students to look at, is it inherent in the nature of doing something in order to get the gift? Like to contrast what you just gave me, the famous Kirksey v. Kirksey situation where the brother-in-law promised the widow, hey, you know, if you'll, I want you guys to have a place to live. So sorry, brother died. I want you guys to have a place to live. So if you'll come down here, you can live here. Mm -hmm. um, as, as opposed, so, so the court, of course, famously held with some criticism that that was just a gratuitous promise. Right. Well, what's right. in it to have your sister-in-law live near you, but. Exactly. I... <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> then you can have fun debating that. And, and you know, they've really kind of done the historical, aside from the more salacious uh, ideas, there, there, is the, <laughs> there was apparently, in reality, the historical uh, fact that there was kind of this, uh, you know, land claiming ability where you needed someone to squat on the land. So there was all these, you know, they always have these interesting histor historical archaeological findings but yeah the basis of the finding was yeah really he was really just saying hey here's a gift in order to take advantage of the gift it's true you got to move down here and get here but i'm not really bargaining for that that's mm -hmm. just inherent in the nature of the gift so to come all the way back to your um example hey i'll give you a hundred dollars if you make straight A's. there's really although the first instinct is that well, that's really, you just want to do something nice for your son and make him a gift. But the truth is you're asking for something uh, in exchange that's not really inherent in, you know, it's not like saying, well, if you'll go to the bank and make the withdrawal, you can have the money. Or if you'll go up and uh, to your desk drawer, I put it in an envelope and you have to get it. No, I mean, making straight A's to me is not inherently part of just the giving of the gift. So I think if you wanted to have a litigious son, he would have a colorable claim. 
So yeah, so that's that's interesting. So so far, what you've said is that in order to have consideration, there has to be a bargain for exchange. That each party has to give something of value, which can be an act or a forbearance of an act. And that when we just discussed this one, the question is, did he give up something? I mean, my son was probably giving up video games, but that's a different issue. So, <laughs> so one of the hypotheticals in the book I use, which is Farnsworth, is this idea of a guy who says to his daughter, if you come from San Francisco to New York, I'll give you a diamond ring. So I guess I have two questions for you. The first is, when is it that we're ha giving a gift rather than giving up something of value? Because a gift, if you give a gift, there is no consideration. Well, actually, that's right. my question. So well, right. So I mean, the the definition of a gratuitous promise or um, uh, a promise to make a gift is easy, but like I say, the devil's in the details of all these, you know, infinitely variable um, uh, hypotheticals or illustrations. So the promise, is, or the definition of a gratuitous promise is just what I say is it's a promise of something for nothing right or it's you're promising something and you're not really bargaining for any exchange you're not demanding mm -hmm. anything another way to look at that is you don't really plan to want the ability to sue if things go wrong it's just a gratuitous promise um so to me i don't use farnsworth um i i was going to use farnsworth when i first started teaching i got talked out of it uh because of a new book that was out and i always wish that i kind of had one of these days i think need to adopt it but <laughs> I, to me, promising a diamond ring if you'll move down, um, I, I, again, although you always want to be on guard for family members promising right. them each right. other things because right. they do things not out of economic motive but because they love each other and want good for each other. But to me, there's nothing inherent about um, getting a diamond ring that requires you to move anywhere. Mm -hmm. So to me, strictly speaking, that's at least theoretically a contract although i'm sure there would be courts that would be amenable to the idea that it's a whole sham thing and it's really right. a gift but i would lean towards contract but i'm i'm curious what farnsworth says in his book if he does well actually the, the hypo is a little different it's come visit me and i will give oh. you the diamond ring but the, sure. the then the twist on that is he that the, the daughter is visiting because she's estranged from the father uh, so that may right but then that leads to the question meet me at the mall and i'll buy you a diamond ring and there yeah. i would say you know i guess the question that i'm getting at is when is it you know if i say meet me at the mall yes you're giving up time you know i say to my students meet me at the mall and they, you know they're giving up study time like at what point do we say this is something of value and i guess right. what you're saying is it's a slippery slope and it's really a, a factual question right yeah, oh, that's my favorite phrase in, in class is this is a fact question, right? <laughs> and the truth is they'll come out differently. But, of course, you know, that only goes so far. They want to know what they need to do on the test and right. what they need to apply. And, right. and I, I really do think, well, it's I can see why if it's, oh, they're estranged, to me that, that leans in favor of it being a, a contract because, right. you know, now he really is wanting something of value. It's not just a condition to get the gift. Yeah. All right, so so you're making it so clear, and I so appreciate that, and I know that the listeners appreciate that too, which is if you get a fact pattern on an exam, the question has to be whether someone gave up something of value, and that it's perfectly appropriate for a student to argue both ways. Like if we go back to the flying across the country, are they, is, are they giving up something, you know, are they leaving their job and having to take time off, are they not willing to come, or are they coming for a visit and 
bonus points, you get the diamond ring. So it's nice to hear that you can argue it both ways. Definitely. And of course, as you know, the better students will, will do that. And, and it's less important. Students should be relieved to know. I'm, I'm sure they've been told this in every uh, you know, law school in the country. But just to reiterate it, it's, it's less important that they get the right answer than it is that they know what the applicable standards and, and rules are and analyze them thoroughly, especially coming at it from both sides. I could not agree with that more. I try to tell my students all the time, get out of your undergrad head. This is not undergraduate school where you need to know facts. This is where right. you need to know rule of the law, apply the facts. I do want to ask you about one other thing, which is, and you brought it up a little bit before, which is past consideration. Tell me a little sure. bit about how that works. Sure. So the the, the, the quick uh, you know statement about that is past consideration is not good consideration, which is a kind of a, it's a, it's a bit of a misnomer. Um, and so the more long-winded way to say that is if you, pro in general, when you promise something in exchange for something that's already happened, then it generally doesn't work. And really, this is just, you know, most of the, the common areas, we've talked about one, gratuitous promises where there's just no exchange. And then the same thing's really true with past consideration. The problem with past consideration is there's not really a present bargain for exchange. So the famous example there is the Mills v. Wyman case, the Good Samaritan case, right. where the um, you know the adult son who was estranged from his father uh, got really ill and he got taken in by the Good Samaritan who cared for him. And I, I may be paraphrasing the facts a little bit, but the father found out about this sort of after the fact, and because he was so grateful to what you know that the the son had been cared for in his final days, he promised um, after the fact. Uh, to pay the Good Samaritan money. Um, and then, so the reason, and then as I joke, and then later the father changed his mind, and the Good Samaritan was nevertheless a litigious Samaritan. Mm -hmm. um, and so the reason that the, the father got off the hook, uh, at least from a formal consideration standpoint, is this. Here's why past consideration doesn't work. Remember, at the outset, we said there's got to be a bargain for exchange. Right. And so what I say uh, is that, a you know, the father promised the money to the Good Samaritan because of what the Good Samaritan did, but query, did the Good Samaritan do what he did, give care of the son, in order to get the promise from the father? And the answer, of course, is no, right? right. Um, I, I joke that, here's another one of those outdated pop culture references, I'll, I'll joke that the the Good Samaritan didn't have a DeLorean that would hit 88 miles per hour, right? <laughs> Back to the future. <laughs> See, you, you get it. You get it. They get look it. at me blankly now. And then I'll say, well, he didn't have a time machine. He couldn't, he couldn't predict the future. Yeah. Uh, because, and that's why past consideration doesn't work, is that on one side, it's, because, it's a promise because of something, but the other person didn't provide their value in order to get that promise because he didn't know it was going to happen in the future. And so traditionally, the court said, sorry, that's not that is not valid consideration. Right. And it, so another way to think of that is it didn't induce the action at all. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah. No, that, that's, that's super helpful, too. Um, you know, we do, I, I don't know, again, because I teach contracts, I can talk to you a little bit about this, but there is an outlier case, and I cannot remember the name of it, where a, um, a gentleman saves his boss from, yeah. you know, heavy yeah, machinery. Uh, Webby McGowan. Yeah, Webby so McGowan, that's exactly. So that's like an outlier, though, right? Exactly. Yeah, there's, well, there's actually, so, you know, as you know, in any class, for every rule, there's how many exceptions. Mm -hmm. And the past consideration rule is the general rule, but there there are, you know, a couple of categories of exceptions, and you've just identified one, which is the 
material benefit rule. As a more modern kind of rule of justice, the courts have said, you know what? If you got a benefit conferred directly on you, even in the past, and you now, and it was a material benefit, and you promised kind of after the fact to pay for it, just sort of as a straight up policy oriented exception to the traditional rule, courts have tended to enforce. Uh, those promises, and you're right. The, the seminal case was, yeah, an employee kind of maimed himself in order to save his employer's boss from injury, and he promised that to that. And the court, just as a matter of fairness, said, you know, we're we're going to. It's interesting as a as an academic matter that initial opinion sort of tried to create this fiction that there was consideration. Well, we'll presume that he provided right. that that heroic. Uh, effort at the boss's request, but it, really that was just a fiction. The truth is, they just wanted to enforce the promise because they just thought it was fair to do so. So um, two two things, but but one is, I just want to push back on that just a little bit because couldn't you argue that the father in um, the Mills case he got a material benefit, he got to sleep yep. at night knowing his, and yet the court said there there's no past consideration. So how do you reconcile those? Yeah, well, I mean, I think traditionally, this is back to us quibbling a little bit about whether the uncle and, and Hamer v. Sidway really got a benefit or not. Um, I think, you know, some would say no, not really in an economic sense. Some would say yes, he really wanted it for his feeling better. And you're right that the father in, in the Good Samaritan case probably did, did feel better. Of course, aside from the timing problem, uh, what the courts have traditionally said, um, and I think it's even used as an illustration uh to restatement 86 which is the material benefit rule what they've said traditionally is not we're not buying that the real benefit was not to the dad it was um directly to the son he got the real tangible you know medical care and treatment and um because the that benefit went to the son and yet it was the dad kind of this third party situation making Mm -hmm. the promise uh it wouldn't the, the material benefit wouldn't work there that's the idea of course, you know, as you can, it's a fact question. If you find that there really was a benefit there, then perhaps, you know, you can make the case for enforcement. But, the, yeah, the, the traditional idea is that was a more of a three-party situation, and so it wouldn't wouldn't work as well. And my theory is always in contract law, I tell my students, the good guy always wins. For the, I mean, 90% of the time, the good guy wins, I just feel yeah. like, in those cases. Exactly. So I do want to, I, I, I want to just say one other thing, which I think is important for students to recognize, and I, um, which is, even if we don't find consideration, the, the, the party seeking to recover can still arguably recover under the doctrine of promissory estoppel, which I kind of call plan B. So yep, we're not exactly. going to talk about promissory estoppel today, but I, I want people to understand that even if you can't recover, don't say, you know, poor Mrs. Feinberg, poor Mr. You know, McGowan. We got right. a plan for you. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, you know, Kirksey v. Kirksey, the case we talked about earlier, right. we all always say if, if only, you know, Sister Antilico, if only promissory estoppel had been around because she did at least incur all those expenses, even if the court was going to deny her formal enforcement of the contract, she should have at least been able to recover for her reliance under promissory estoppel. Correct. So um, any uh, anything else um that you think is important that we didn't cover with relation to consideration? I think we covered the highlights, really. Um, uh, The other thing I was going to mention a while ago, just to put a bow on past consideration, is that I think it's probably less significant than the material benefit rule that we talked about. But, um, you know, there's also 
uh, we always say, you know, consideration is, is, uh, is, you know, an economic exchange. And you would think at first glance that a moral obligation has no place in contracts. But there's another category of a, a longstanding exception to the past consideration rule, which is promises to pay after there's been some legal uh, reason you don't have to pay anymore. So a promise to pay after a debt's expired by statute of limitations, for instance. Uh, courts have tended to enforce those just again on the kind of the idea that well you owe it you really know you owe it you morally are obligated to pay it and so even though you had a technical legal defense of limitations um you know if you promise to pay it again uh then that promise tends to be enforceable and that's something sometimes when i have time i mention yeah no that makes sense and that's important too so this yeah. has been super helpful. I really appreciate you taking the time to explain all of this. And I think one of the best takeaways is this idea with for students that there is no right answer necessarily. I mean, sometimes it's a little more obvious. If I'm paying $10,000 for a painting, we clearly have consideration. Sure. But sometimes right. there's a slippery slope. And so the key is to be able to argue both sides and to understand, even as a juror, when would a juror find that this was of value? And that's the argument exactly. you make on the exam. Thank you That's so exactly much. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I did okay, thank you right? Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. <laughs> thank enjoyed you. Yeah, it's it. really been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Great. You too. And that's my discussion with Professor Barnes. Hope you enjoyed it. Once again, a few reminders. First, if you are taking the BARP, and I guess you probably eventually will be, you can save $100 on Kaplan Test Prep. Go to the Kaplan Test Prep website, type in the code Leslie100, and you'll save $100 on your Kaplan Test Prep program. Also, please continue to like us, rate us, give us any kind of feedback you can. It's what keeps us going. That's it for this program. Enjoy your day.